Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm talking with motivational, inspirational speaker and wellness expert, Victoria Proctor. Victoria was born in the projects of Brooklyn. She's a holistic health counselor, massage therapist, a registered nurse, and has a master's as a prepared exercise physiologist. Her family moved to Maryland when she was eight years old. She received her education in Baltimore. She attended Western High, which is an all-girl public high school, where she was a standout sprinter and high jumper. She then went on to Frostburg State College, which is now a university, and attended the John Hopkins University of Nursing, completing the 13-month accelerated program to receive her BS in nursing. She received her master's degree from the University of Maryland at College Park in exercise physiology. After many years doing research, she started her nursing career at the Kennedy Krager Institute for Children. As a child, she remembers eating well every day. It was a typical uh, diet for many African Americans. It included things that were healthy but were made unhealthy by adding stuff to it, like greens that were seasoned with fat meat and cornbread that had a little fat grease, and of course, uh, the favorite drink of choice, Kool-Aid. During her graduate education, she learned so much about the physical body and the physiology of the body. This knowledge inspired her on a quest to serve her community in a more personal way. She wanted to help create a healthy world and wanted everyone she knew to get into shape. Shortly after graduate school, she took a spiritual journey to India, an experience that truly changed her life forever. Upon returning from India, she went back to school, this time attending the Baltimore School of Massage. Upon graduation, she started her own home-based practice. Victoria is an Iron Girl participant. Iron Girl aspires to bring women of all ages together as a community by offering a supportive, energetic, and empowering environment for females pursuing a healthy and active lifestyle. This summer, she participated in the Iron Girl Columbia Triathlon, benefiting the Ullman Cancer Foundation for Young Adults. In September, after finishing the Iron Girl, Victoria got back on her bicycle and participated in her fourth Tour to Cure for Diabetes in honor of her mother, Gladys Proctor, in Charlotte, North Carolina. She rode not only for her mother, but for all women, but especially for women of color who have a higher rate of type 2 diabetes. 
She has personally raised over $4,000 for the American Diabetes Association. And if you count the efforts of her team, it's over $7,000. Education is key to the prevention and better management of diabetes. Victoria wants to be a real champion for change and has built a practice and life to help her family, community, and the world live healthier. Victoria, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm well, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. I'm well. You know, I, I was reading in your, in your bio, and it was like you talked about, first of all, you were thankful that you never experienced hunger, but then you also talked about how you had this great food by these great cooks, but now <laughs> you understand that some of that wasn't that healthy. Yeah. Do you find that recognizing that when you go out and to talk to people about healthy eating, you know, that that helps that you can relate to them, that you, you know exactly what they're talking about. You grew up on that too, but there's a better way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't regret one bite of the food. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of how it was, you know. I mean, that's just how life was back then in the 70s. I mean, my, my, my mom and my family, that's what we cooked with, right? And, you know, no one was really into health and consciousness and food awareness back then the way they are now. It's just over time that we have been shown what can happen when, you know, you use certain things to cook with, you know, too much salt, too much fat, too much this, too much sugar, you know. But back then it was what, it's what we de uh, dealt with. So, uh, and now, you know, I try to tell people, you know, there's a reason why we need to make healthier choices because these are the things that can happen as a result of not making healthy choices. And, and I really can relate because I did grow up that way. And, and I have to admit, Michelle, as much as I love collard greens, collard greens don't taste the same unless they're kind of seasoned with that <laughs> fat meat, but I don't use it. So, I mean, that's, I think that, that to me is what helps people is it's not always easy because we're so used to one thing, but in order to, to be healthier, we just have to sometimes make the hard choices. You know, I tell you, when I read the line about Kool-Aid, you know, I had to flash <laughs> for the minute of either the green Kool-Aid or the or the grape Kool-Aid, and it just mm -hmm. had to have that certain level of sweetness. Yes, and, you know, is. on a cold day, I mean, that was it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. And we loved it. It was just like the best drink in the world, right? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. You know, but we know that too much sugar now is just not good for us, especially for children. Um, but, again, we, ha we have to live. But that was the time, and, and, and that's just kind of how it was. But, you know, we're, we're paying a price for some bad decisions, so we have to just learn to make better choices and certainly better choices for the children. You know, I was reading that you, um, you grew up with your, your, your mother was single. Your father died um, when you were young. Yeah. Education seems to have been, like, really important to you. In fact, you often say how, when it's something new, what you do is you go back to what you know. You go back to education. Yeah. Where did, yeah. did that come from your mom? Actually, no, no. It was just, it was me, I think. I, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I truly did. I grew up in Bed-Stuy in the projects in Brooklyn. Um, and I was kind of a, I was very outgoing, but there's a, there's a side to me that's quite shy. Um, and I've always told people I'm a trained extrovert, but I'm very introverted. 
But there were two things that I was always really, really good at. I was really good as an athlete, even as a kid just running the streets in New York. I could beat everybody in running. And I was a pretty good student. And so I just kind of always had this thirst for knowledge. Um, And I wasn't necessarily really smart. I was just a good student. And over time, I learned how to um, be, quote, unquote, smart by just studying. But I loved to learn. And and I think it was the environment that I grew up in. Um, I actually was put in a gifted program in the eighth grade, and that program had me surrounded by a lot of white people. And and, and, and my world was very different from that. So the, just, just, just what I grew up with from an educational standpoint was different than what I was used to. I mean, people had different aspirations, and college was something that was an expectation, not an option. And so, you know, I just kind of had this, that was my environment. When I was in school, that's, I was pushed hard because of these other students. And I just started to really love learning. And one thing just led to another. And you know, I believe that knowledge is the one thing we can always give ourselves. You know, you're never too old to learn, and you never know at all. And, and I believe that the more we know, the better we can do. So, I mean, I'm working on my doctorate now. So I just really, I really love education. I've seen what's given me, and I've seen what it allows me to give to others. So mm-hmm. now you know um, you wanted to. I mean, you've got you got a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in biology. You went on to nursing and accelerated program. Um, you know, um, then exercise physiology. A lot of this has to do with, with science. And, you know, mm-hmm. you often hear people say, oh, you know, girls don't do that, you know, or, or girls can't. When you, as now, as you go back and you talk to it, do you find that that's something also besides the fact that you were an athlete, you were a, a star sprinter that you can go back and also talk about, but these are some of the choices that you can make, you can do, you can do both? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know what it was. It was about, I don't, I really don't know what it was about me in science. I, I just had a love for it. And, and, and that love really happened for me about probably the seventh or eighth grade. Um, and I, I don't know where it came from, but for some reason I was fascinated by the way cells work, the way life mm. works. Um, it was just fascinating to me, and I really enjoyed the process of movement and, and, and science. I mean, it's just fascinating. I, I find things like business very boring. I find math very boring. I find English amazing, but I found science fascinating. You know, astrology, astronomy, all of that, I just find it fascinating because to me that's where life really is. And um, and I, I think it all depends on the kind of person you are. You know, I wasn't great in chemistry, but I loved chemistry. But I was more, you know, the biology kind of person, the cell, the anatomy, the physiology girl. I love the whole process thing. And I'm very process-oriented. Um, and I think women, I think young girls should really capitalize. And I think it also helped me as an athlete because I knew that if I did certain things, my body would respond, and this is how my body responded on a cellular level. And it sounds crazy, but it's the truth. I knew why I was a good sprinter and not a really good marathon runner. 
You know, it's because, well, I have fast twitch muscles more than slow twitch muscles, and that's why I'm a really great sprinter, but I'm not the best at doing marathons. But because of that, I also knew how to train for a marathon based on science. So that's why I completed several marathons. But I'll never be an Olympic gold medalist in a marathon, for sure, because I'm not designed that way. So, you know, I just, you know it, it just helped me. I just loved it. I just loved it. You know, it's interesting because you talk about the physiology, you talk about, you know, what the body is happening, the cellular, but you're a spiritual person. You went on a spiritual journey to India. Do you ever have people, because, you know, I talk to people about different things that I go and they go like, well, how can you do one and then the other? And I say, well, you know, we're multifaceted people. You know, we can we can have all these parts and work together. But the spiritual part and that led you to this journey to India. How did that fit in when you had just spent, you know, years in school being deeply immersed in the science of it all? And then you took this spiritual journey to India. Well, that's a really great question. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, and I hope I can answer it well enough. It's, they're both the same and they're different. Um, I kind of see life just the way it is. Um, science is factual. Science is real. Um, there's no disputing it, and that's what I like about science. It's real for its sake, for in and, in and of itself. It's, it's reality. It's life. Spirituality is real. It is what it is. It is real in and of itself. You can't deny it. Um, and that's what makes them similar. The differences to me are, hmm, man, this is a great, tough question. Um, I don't have a conflict, I guess, is the bottom line. I don't have a conflict with it. Um, I, I, I believe that at the core of, of, of my being is a, is a person who really wants to be her best self, and, and science doesn't make me my best self. My spirit makes me my best self. My consciousness makes me my best self. Now, if you want to get really technical about it, we can talk about consciousness from a science, science standpoint. Um, but it, it's, 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 it's what goes on on that, 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 that higher plane that even sometimes science can't explain that matters to me. I'm interested in, how I can be the best possible human being that I could be. And, 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 and spending so many years as I did at that time right before I went to India, um, I was heavily into meditation. I was finding myself. You know, I was finding myself. My life wasn't easy. I didn't have an easy childhood. Life was not easy at all. So I was trying to find myself, and I often hid behind the books because that was a, a way of escaping for me. But spirituality was a, a, a way of coming to, to myself and not running from who I was, believing that there was something greater inside of me that was directly related to this bigger thing outside of myself. And I wanted to feel a part of that. I wanted to know what this quote-unquote God thing was and, mm-hmm. and, and my relationship to it. And... Um, and through meditation and practicing a, a practice called Siddha Yoga for so many years, I just learned to go deep within myself because I, I needed to grow from that aspect. 
so I, I, I felt like I had to go to India. I, I, you know, it was, again, a part of this big practice that I was um, a part of. And so, yeah, I went to India for two and a half weeks or so and stayed in an ashram and, you know, meditated all day. And I tell people I paid a lot of money to go two oceans away only to be told I had to be in silence for like five days. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was about, to me, it's, that's an education in itself. It's about discipline and learning and healing. It was a healing trip for me as well. I hope that answered it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, the healing arts, and, you know, there is a part of of the spiritual, but also comes to that healing part, the part to be meditation and to affect some of the things that are in t- inside of you. Do you find, okay, but you also have this background in nursing. When you came back, and as sometimes as you deal with people now, do you find ways to balance the two or introduce one to, uh, like, you know, just concepts? And that I, I'm thinking because I have a friend here who um, in Michigan who is a nurse, um, mm-hmm. but she also is very involved in Reiki. And now she is doing workshops at her job to talk about Reiki and energy work and all like that. And, like, some people sort of look like, oh, what are you talking about? But then there mm-hmm. are some not only healers, but also patients who respond positively to that. Do you find that the shift that you made spiritually and into how you thought about things, is that something that you've been able to translate after you returned? Oh, my goodness. There's no doubt about that. But this, this, India, I went to India, it was a while ago when I went to India. It was shortly after I finished graduate school. But um, yes, I mean, there's no question. I mean, uh, wow. I mean, how can I, when I came back from India, I went to massage school because I felt like there was so Mm -hmm. much to learn. And and then with that, I I started learning about, you know, chakras and and energy and energy medicine and and Mm -hmm. aromatherapy and how it's used to heal and, 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 and gemstones and all of that and blah, 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 blah. And then I opened, you know, Victoria's Touch of Life, which is my private health and wellness practice, and then on and on and on. And then that led to so many things. And to directly answer your question, I mean, I started a program at the hospital that I work at in Maryland. I started an integrative medicine program, which directly relates to that. I actually teach patients how to be a part of their own healing process by using guided imagery and visualization and conscious breathing, as I like to call it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to say that I, I, I pray with my patients. And, mm. and if I'm concerned about the language, because you have to be careful, you know, I, I, I tell them let's have positive thoughts or let's have positive thinking. And if I know that they're religious, I'm like, do you want me to pray with you? You know, because this is a part of the healing process. Our bodies respond extremely well to spirit and to positive energy. So, yeah, it's, there's no question. There's no question. It is actually what I do, and, and I teach it to the employees. I established a meditation, monthly meditation group for the employees at the hospital so that they can come and, and learn ways to help them deal with the stress and the struggles of working in healthcare, care um, because it's a struggle for all of us. 
And, and I deal with sickness all the time. I'm not a floor nurse. I, I, I literally have a consult service where if a patient is having anxiety and stress, they, they will reach out to me and say, well, can you work with this patient? Can you help them with their pain? Can you help them with their anxiety? Can you help them with their stress? And so I'll go in and literally I will perform or I will do, you know, techniques and therapies with the patient to help them to calm down so that they can facilitate their own healing at the cellular level. So, yeah. And, you know, because that's why, as I listen to, like, my, in fact, I've got a couple of friends who are in there doing a lot of what you're doing, and they're part of dealing with people, and sometimes it even helps them with trauma that they have internalized, and by using these other other methods, it's not about, you know, here, pop another pill, you know, it's like looking, like, totally holistically at, their lives and so like taking a step back and then mm-hmm. from starting to the simple thing like meditating to like you said move, moving anxiety and that um so mm-hmm. after you did that so you have you you attended this institute in new york and you were saying how the instructors it really moved you it can made you want to continue to grow and grow mm-hmm. and grow and change you know um there's so much now that's available online and and mm-hmm. through these other things. How do you see your you said you're still in school too? How do you see ultimately this is going to come about? Do you see yourself like solely doing like your business end of it or continuing working within the hospital arena? Um, it's interesting that you would ask that question because I've spent my entire life in a hospital, it seems. Mm-hmm. From the time I was 14 years old, I volunteered every summer when most kids are kicking back. I spent three to four days a week every summer at Johns Hopkins volunteering. And then as soon as I graduated from college, I went back to Johns Hopkins and worked. And I stayed at Hopkins, and then I went to nursing school, and then I went back to Hopkins, and then I worked as a nurse. I've spent my entire career in a hospital doing some kind of health care. I'm getting my doctorate as a DMP, which is a doctor of nurse practice, and my specialty is family, will be as a family nurse practitioner. And the reason why at this point in my life and at this age, the reason why I am going back to school is because I feel like truly on a spiritual level that I still have more to give and I mm-hmm. have more to do. And, and, and that's a, it was a huge leap of faith and, and desire to make this choice at this point in my life because it's a very expensive decision. Um, but I feel that at this point in my life that I have to give back, that I really have to try to make a huge difference, not only spiritually in people's lives, but I've been a nurse for over 25 years, but I really have to try to do my best before I leave this planet this lifetime to help people change their lives, you know, to help people make better decisions, to help women of color make better decisions. And so I'm getting this degree so that I can have a little more autonomy, a little more independence, because I'll be a doctor and I can be Mm -hmm. a primary care provider and I can be the one that can really you know, talk about the real holistic aspect of health from a mind, from a body, 
from a spirit standpoint, you know, and I want to be able to balance my, my real true belief in Eastern medicine with my scientific belief in Western medicine. And I want to help people know that you, you, you don't have to exclude one to do the other. You know, that Western medicine has kept us alive. It's kept me alive. It's done things for people. And, and, and so we can't run away from it. But we can take a lot of ownership in how we uh, enhance our own well-being. So I, I, I hope to come out of the hospital once I get this degree and be in a primary practice with someone for a while. But I really hope to have an integrative medicine family practice where I am working on people who are diabetic and teaching them and showing them how to make real changes in their lives. And if they don't meet a criteria that absolutely uh, uh, states that they need to be on medication, if I have wiggle room where if Mm -hmm. I can work on this person for six months before I have to say, listen, you really have to go on insulin or I'm really going to have to put you on this medication because lab values don't lie, Michelle. But Uh if I have a window of opportunity to say, you know what, blah, 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 blah. If you can change your lifestyle in the next six months, you may not have to go on insulin because right now it's not critical for me to put you on it. And if you can start moving and start eating and doing these things, we may be able to absolutely stop diabetes from coming at you. We may Uh absolutely stop you from ever having to go on the pill or insulin we can probably stop you from going on hypertensive medication if we can do A, B, C, and D. But if the lab values are telling me something different, that either i got to put them on some medicine or we're in trouble, well, I'm going to do just that. But I'm still going to say you got to change your lifestyle and we got to do these things, and maybe we can eventually back off of the medication. Mm-hmm. So now you know. I, I, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it just rings so true because I'll tell you, one of uh, a guest who I've had on here before, Betty Covertier, she has done that. And I'll tell you, my brother um, had didn't, wasn't taking care of himself. And he went to someone who really, I mean, he radically changed his life, like how he ate, how his exercise and how he's doing it. And going, like you said, from that point of where it was like, you know, we see you being on insulin and he's not. Uh, mm-hmm. But to have someone who, who, but prior to that, it was just like the straight path. Okay, well, and actually my father had been a diabetic. And so it was like, this is where you're headed, you know, this is what you're going to have to do. And to hear you talk, it's just like this is something that I know in my core, particularly having seen not only my brother, but my Betty, who's a friend of mine, and seeing how, it changed the direction of their lives. I believe it has added years to their lives and a quality of life, which is just like amazing. And and it's it's just so great, you know. You know. And, and, and if, if if you don't mind me just saying this, and, and uh-huh. I, but I'm a realist. I mean, that is the scientist in me, I uh-huh. guess. So the science. I'm a realist. I don't believe in miracles and any of that kind of stuff. You know, if things are going to happen, they're going to happen. If a disease is going to be a process that's going to that's going to work its way through your life, it's going to work its way. I was diagnosed with high blood pressure. A lot of it, they think, was stress related. Do all the things mm. that were going on in my life, 
you know. But that doesn't preclude me from still being a healthy person and trying to do the things that I need to do. But, you know, you can, you can have something and still have a good quality of life, you know, because some things may actually happen. And I can use my mother as an example who my mom got diabetes. Well, I, I don't even remember when. But what I remember is when she was told that she had to go on insulin. And, 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 and I remember what that did to me. And I think I was either in nursing school or I just finished nursing school. I, I can't remember. But all I remember was how complicated diabetes was and how complicated mm-hmm. diabetes is and how managing diabetes is extremely challenging. And that's why I feel I have to do something for, for people of color because it's not easy to understand, to make the changes, and to manage diabetes. But anyway, what I did for my mother was I, 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 I couldn't stop the diabetes. But one of the things that, that, that rang so true was when my aunt said, had you not intervened when you did, your mom would have been dead a long time ago. Mm. And what I did for my mother, I didn't stop the diabetes. I couldn't. It was, it, it, it was already there. But what I did is I gave her quality of life before the damage that had been done, before I even knew about it, caught up with her. Do you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because by the time I got involved, the damage was done. It was then a matter of when it was going to manifest itself in her life. So my, my goal was to try to make her as healthy as possible for as long as possible. And one day, as fate would have it, the diabetes caught up with her, which led to mm-hmm. one thing, which led to another, which led to the amputation of her leg, which mm-hmm. led to one other thing and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Had I not intervened when I did, had I not radically changed her life and her diet, I mean, I watched everything change. Her hemoglobin A1C, which is a test that shows a person's um, diabetes um, um, values over three months, how high your blood sugars are over three months. When I watched them go from super high to well within normal because of the changes that I made, that took stress off her system. So that gave certain aspects of her body a chance to recover. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that not further damage was um, taking place. That blood, her blood pressure changed. I got her weight down. That meant her insulin requirements were less. So she used less insulin. That's, you know, that's less insulin that's wreaking more havoc on your body. So I gave her more quality so that her body could recover. So instead of the disease breaking her down, I delayed her problems. I gave her quality of life because it was gonna, something was going to happen in the end, and I didn't know that it was going to cost her her life then, but I had enough understanding to know that I could only help her have as much quality and health as possible and to delay whatever impact this disease had on her life to delay how it was going to manifest later on. Mm. So it's not just so, about prevention. It's about really mm-hmm. better management. Mm-hmm. Well, Victoria, we're going to take a quick break right here. And because um, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, you're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown. My guest today is Victoria Proctor, who's an in- motivational and inspirational speaker and a wellness expert. 
You're listening to Collections by Michelle Brown, and we will be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back with Victoria Proctor. You know, Victoria, your story, I mean, what you just said about your mother rings so close to home. My godmother, um, she was from Mobile, Alabama, and she liked to eat. She had a way that she just liked to eat. And even when they told her she had high blood pressure, that she was a diabetic, and you try to change it, and she just, you know, oh, that's in fact, her thing was like, you know, black people, you know, that we just have mm. it and we just deal with it. And mm. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. so she never did. Eventually, she went on insulin. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you, um, her, she, ended, um, she lost a kidney. Eventually, mm-hmm. um, for last time, she had her a leg amputated. The other kidney mm-hmm. was failing. And they were telling her, you know, her future was dialysis and this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she was always saying, you know, if somebody would just sneak me in some Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, and it's like, you know, like it mm. didn't. But after they told her that, and she was like, they're saying that this is as good as it's going to get. In fact, you know, and that I have to go and do this. She said, I don't want, this is not how I want to live. And shortly after that, she had a heart attack and she died. And, mm. I mean, that, you you know, when you would, you did the... Um, the bike run, and part of what you talked about, diabetes and communities of color, particularly amongst women. How prevalent is it? And do you still have people who who have that in their head? Like, well, you know, I'm black. I got high blood pressure, and I'm a diabetic. That's what we get. Do you still, is it, how prevalent is that? It, it's very prevalent. And, you know, to me, I, I, I you know, it frustrates me. And because I hear it all the time. And it actually ticks me off because it's like that, to me, that's like not taking responsibility for your life. And to me, that's a very apathetic, passive statement for any woman of color to make. Well, because I'm black and, you know, that's what we get. We get the diabetes. We get the, the sugar. We get the hypertension or we get the high blood pressure. It's, it, but to, to me, it's like, so, it, it's like, you're not giving yourself a shot. I think it's a very, very, um, I think it's an excuse for, for, for needing to make choices. You know, it's not a judgment that I'm saying this. I, I think it's mm-hmm. an excuse, you know, um, because you know what? It may have been a part of our history. It may, it may be a part of our history because black women are at higher risk for developing diabetes. So just being black puts us at risk, male or female, 
But being a woman puts us at risk, so we got two. We're black and we're women. And then when you're over 40, that's another risk. So when you're over 40, black and a woman, boom, you got three risks going at you. So, yeah, I get it. But that is not a reason for you to think, well, I might, I'm going to get it, so I'm just going to go ahead and eat this cake. I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to go ahead and do that. Absolutely not. Just because those are those high risks, you still have that possibility that it won't happen to you. So do something. You know, do something about it. Do something about it. Make a conscious choice. So I hear people all the time. I, I was a, a, a keynote speaker at a black event last year, and, and I said the problem with this is that we don't really want to have a dialogue. Yeah, well, I got a little bit of sugar, and it just is what it is. Go, you know, I, I, I'll, you mm-hmm. know I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to make these changes. But we have to make the changes because, Michelle, the truth of the matter is we're dying at a higher rate than any other group. Black women, in particular, black women are dying at a higher rate than any other group of women in any other uh, race or ethnic group. We're dying at a higher rate because of hypertension. We're dying at a higher rate of obesity. And is that because, well, black women just get it more? I don't believe that. I believe it's because that, that in general we're not taking care of our health as well as we should be because we, we, we find an excuse for not wanting to own it. And it's not about being rich, and it's not about being educated. It's about being educated. Mm. You know, you can make life changes just by knowing the difference. Uh, you, you, you have to be willing to make the change. But we've been beat down as a race of people, I think, that we have a, a sense of apathetic way about us that we need to change. It's almost like a slave mentality still festers in us. Well, I'm going to get it, so... You know, I, 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 what can I do about it? You can do a lot about it. I'm going to fight it to the end. I, I, I cried when I found out I had hyper, uh, high blood pressure. I cried like a baby. I was an athlete all of my life. I had a period, a period of smoking, all of that. But I was an athlete. How do I get hypertension? I thought I was at a higher risk of getting diabetes and high blood pressure. When I found out, I cried. Mm-hmm. Cried. But guess what? I had to chalk it up and do my best because maybe it was because of my genes. But I had to just, I had to deal with it. It wasn't like, well, I love this and I love that. I'm, I'm not a big salt person. I don't eat processed food. But it happened. So it, it was very much my genetic. Maybe it, is the, maybe it was the stress in my life. But the point is, I didn't say, well, it just is what it is. I'm just going to keep doing it. No, I'm not going to make it worse. I'm going to do everything I can to keep myself as well-managed as possible. Because the other side of that, you don't want to get really sick with that stuff. It wreaks havoc on you. So we have to change our mentality, and we have to know that we can make changes. You know, so I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. And you can certainly um, stop me at any point in time, but I'll never forget this one person that I met. He had a big, he had, di- he had a, a, a thing in his arm for dialysis, but he ended up getting a kidney because mm-hmm. he had really bad, uncontrollable diabetes. When I met him, he had already lost one leg, and they were trying to save the other. And when he went home, I worked with this guy, blah, blah, blah. When this person left, came back, another, you know, another leg was gone. And I'm like, 
But then to have this person say, I get it, I get it. I had a guy say this to one of my students one time after he lost two toes. He said, I get it. I finally understand. I don't want to lose. And I'm thinking to myself, now you get it? Mm-hmm. You've lost limbs and you get it now? This is what I'm thinking to myself. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, it's too late. Now, you can still make changes. But when it gets to that point, now you're getting it? Well, it's like that's where the spirituality part or the spirit of me comes in. That's when I pray for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like I pray for your life. I pray for your health. Because now is the time where it doesn't matter the life, the changes that you make. That thing has, it, it's gotten you now. Now it's about how do you make your life as healthy as possible before this really catches up with you. To Liz Ross, and she do, they each year in California, they do this like vegan advocacy initiative. They do a conference, and it's primarily involves, it's led by and involves communities of color. And a lot of the things that they try to do, it's like she was saying, like one of the biggest things that they found was like initially when they talked about food, people were like very resistant. I like this, and I'm not going to give it back. So this mm-hmm. year, they sort of like tried to do it in stages and, and did cook-offs in between mm-hmm. to show people Absolutely. how yep. you could, you know, you, you know, you're not punishing yourself because she said often that's what she found that some people talked like until something drastic happened, like they lost a toe, that they thought like to tell them that, you know, to eat better, to maybe grow some of your food and let go of the processed food and like that they, they felt it was almost like being punished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a mentality. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a mentality. I mean, we've got to change the mentality. We've got to change that, that victim mentality. It's like, how are you being punished when it's your responsibility to take care of your own life? It's your responsibility. It's like you have got to own that responsibility. It's like you, you asked me something about my education or my science and what made me what drove me to want to be whatever, because what was my choice? My choice was I could have been, I could have turned out to be a druggie on the street because that's one of the reasons why my mom moved us down to New York because she wanted a better life for us. So I, okay, I could make a choice. I could either go nowhere with my life or I could just decide that I wanted to do something to give myself a better shot at life. Now, was I really thinking that then? No, but I thought, not doing well didn't seem like the right answer, so I'm going, to try to this, I'm going to try this path. So eating unhealthy, eating junk doesn't seem right, but this path doesn't, it's like it, it, this is a better path. I mean, when you think about it, it's like it's a choice. You have to choose. You just have to choose. I woke up this morning, I had a lot of mucus in my throat, and I was laughing. I think I said to my niece, I said, that's what I get for eating a bag of potato chips and Doritos yesterday at work before (laughs) I left because I didn't have any dinner. And I literally went to the gift shop and got a bag of Doritos, and and I ate it. And I said, this is what happens when I eat this. This is My body lets me know. Your body will tell you what is not right. There's nothing wrong with chips, and there's nothing wrong with Doritos, but that process, your body will tell you something. 
You know, so we have to be willing to make decisions for our lives. No one's punishing you. You have to want to live the best life you can. Mm-hmm. You know, and it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I, I used to teach cooking classes. I'm not the best cook in the world. <laughs> I, I'm a very mm-hmm. simple cook. But I used to go to the inner cities and teach moms how to cook healthy on a budget because I don't want anyone, whether you're receiving support financially from social services or I don't care where your money comes from. I don't care how much or how little you have. You can still eat well with what you're able to put on your table. And I literally showed people how to eat well with what they could afford to buy, from chicken wings to uh, milk, whatever it is. You know, if you can't, if you don't want to do no fat milk, fine. I don't even use milk, so I don't care for it. Then you get 2%. Try 2%. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You've got to just make small changes. You know, this is how you can really, I know collard greens are great with fat back. I love them. But guess what? It's just not healthy. It, it, it can clog your arteries. So can we try this turkey? Can we just try mm-hmm. this? And let's taste this. So I would cook in front of the people. I would cook to show them. If I can cook in front of you, I know you can do it if you can cook. <laughs> and I would cook and then I would serve them a healthy, nutritious, balanced meal. Was that hard? No. You can do this with your collard greens, your kale, your spinach. This is how you can eat. And if you really can't afford chicken breast because you got three, four, five kids to feed and your income is limited, then what you buy, how about if you just pull the skin off of it once in a while? Why don't you bake it once in a while? That's how you make changes. You don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Well, I can only eat fried. I can't. Well, why don't you try it? Because every little change you make builds up to something big. I have a motto, Michelle, I've said it since I started my business, small steps, great gains. Just a small step. I love fried fish. Do you hear me? Love fried fish. <laughs> I don't cook it. I don't fry it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't cook. But if someone, if I love, if I have a, around a friend and they have fried fish, I'll eat two or three pieces. And love it. No regrets because it's not something I even eat on a regular basis. But I love it. I love fried fish. I love brownies. I don't cook them, but every now and then I'll treat myself to one. To a brownie. It is what uh-huh. it is. It is what it is, you know. But I'm not going to eat fried fish and brownies every day. <laughs> I know. I know. Brownies, I will admit, brownies are my secret passion every now and then. Uh, every yeah. now and then. You know, um, it's interesting as you talk to that because one of the things in, in a lot of these discussions that I, I'm in when people are talking, and I was talking to um, one of my elders who said, you know, that part of the problem, she says that people don't take the time because she was saying, um, she said one of the worst things that that happened was when they gave people an EBT card and let them use it at McDonald's because she, mm-hmm. she talked about, she said how she had had them, but she had to go out and, she bought food and she cooked. And, mm-hmm. um, and she said, now people are just in such a rush. It's just easy. Just go on and get there. And she said, that's the worst thing. And we are. Um, we are in a rush. But there are things that we can do to take care of our mind, body, and spirit. Absolutely. You know? We can, Michelle. We can. But you know what? We need people to help each other to do that. 
You know, I, I, I can be very, I'm very passionate about this because I understand the struggle. I mean, I really get the struggle, Michelle. You know, I, I get the struggle. I get how hard it is. I've lived it all my life. You know, I tell people I'm not this evolved, you know, person. I don't have the perfect life, the perfect diet, the perfect anything. I have the same struggles you have. The, problem, the, 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 the difference is I, I really realize I have the struggle. And I want to do differently for myself because I've watched my family get sicker. I watched my mom die. I lost an aunt the day I had to do my first diabetes bike ride in May. My, the service for my aunt who died from diabetes was happening. And here I am out there biking for diabetes, and I couldn't make her service. I've lived this. You know, I, I have family members who are, who are battling it. But you know what? Almost to come full circle in some ways, this is why my spirituality is so important. You know, I'm a devout Buddhist, a Nietzsche Dysonian Buddhist, and, and I believe that it is my responsibility to try to make a difference in this world. You know, we talk about peace in this world as Buddhists. Well, the way I envision bringing peace to this world is trying to help someone else find some peace and, 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 being, and being healthier. You know, and it might be that I'm going to leave this earth because I've worked so hard to try to make a difference that something might happen to me, you know. But the, the, the point is that, that this is what I really believe in. I want to try to make a difference. I want to try to have somebody else have a, have, have a life where their parent doesn't have to go through diabetes or they don't have to go through diabetes or their child doesn't have to go through diabetes. To find out that a cousin gets diabetes at in their 20s and 30s, that's sad. Mm. But when you're morbidly overweight, what do you expect? So make the change. You know, I'm the most compassionate person you'll ever meet. But I'm not, I can't coddle you. You know, you have got to want to do the work. You know, you've got to, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. If you don't, it will get you. That's just, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I believe that we have to have compassion and we have to care enough to really want to not only speak what needs to happen, but to help people make those changes. And when they say they can't and when they say they won't, we still have to have the kindness and compassion to say, isn't your life worth it? Isn't the life of your child worth it? So, you know, we, we, it's a balancing act, you know. We, we, it, it, it takes one to, to cure one, you know. And um, I, I really want that to be something that I give to this world before I leave. That's my spiritual mission, mm-hmm. you know, is to make a difference in my world before I leave this planet. You know, you know, I, you know you knew you do this and you're doing this in part in your practice. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, you're braving me. I mean, I'm not the best cook, but I could see me doing what you did to make that point. But you also have done something that's very demonstrative of living healthy, um, what people would say is being active. You've participated in the Iron Girl, and I think you told me more than once. Mm-hmm. You've done these, these bike-a-thons. What, when you, when you chose to do them, was it a personal choice to be involved in the Iron Girl? Was it a personal challenge to you? But did you also 
show see that as a way of demonstrating to people, you know, I can't I have the possibility of having, you know, everything that you're talking about, but I'm living my life. I'm being healthy and the importance of this active lifestyle. Honestly, no. I did it strictly for myself. Mm-hmm. Strictly for myself because I'm an athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm an old athlete. I've been I've been an athlete since I was. You know, my mom said I came out running, <laughs> running and talking. I came out running. I literally, honestly, did it for myself because it was a way that that's how I dealt with the the, the, the stresses in my life. You know that that that's why I was. If you remember, I said I was good at two things: sports and school, because that's how I dealt with the stress of my life. When things got hard, I would run, I would work out. I would, I would immerse myself in, in, in books and reading and science. That's how I dealt with things in my life. And so when I decided to do my first triathlon, it was because I had done so many things already. I mean, Michelle, I'm a, I'm a nine-time All-American, a national record holder in college. I've run marathons from Boston and New York, Philly. I've done a lot of things. But I never did a triathlon. Why? Because I had a fear of water. And I can swim, but I have a fear of water. So for me, it was like anything else. I got to conquer that fear or I got to face the fear. So that's what I did. I decided that I had to do a triathlon because I'm scared of water. So that's why I did my first triathlon. And it was a nightmare for me to train and get over that water. And when I got in that water, I froze. Mm. But I'm like, just go, just do it. You can do it. That's why I did a triathlon. And that's why I turned around and did another one five years later. And that's why it took me 10 years to go back to do the one that I did the first time in August, because I needed to face my fear. I got to face my quote unquote, the diseases that affect me of my mind. You know, every day is a battle with something, and I deal with that by, by challenging myself to show myself that as long as you don't give up, nothing can get you, no matter what it is that's going on. So when I did this last triathlon, I had to do it to remind myself that as long as you stroke, as long as you, as long as you take one stroke at a time and face your greatest demons, it's going to be okay. So is this to help other women when someone like you give me an opportunity to say this? Maybe it does because maybe that, maybe that is my reason because I want women to know that you can't give up on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so jumping back into that water was a way of me telling myself, Vic, it's scary. The water is all of everything in my life that I'm afraid of. That's what's in the ocean to me. That's what's in water, everything that I'm afraid of. So as long as I stay out of that water, that means those fears get me, right? Mm -hmm. But even if I get in that water and take one stroke, that means I'm facing my fear. And every time I can come out of the water, I've conquered a fear. And when I get really weirded out again, I'll go back and face it again. And that just gives me an opportunity to show myself that I can, I can, I can do this. I can keep, I can make the change. You know, I, I can do this. So really, it's, it's for me. But I hope in it being for me that 
that, that I can show women, young and older, that if you just face your fear, if you just take one step in, in, in the right direction, your whole life will change. It's not going to be perfect, and you're still going to have trials and tribulations, and you're still going to suffer th- through things. But it's not about not suffering. It's about mm-hmm. pushing yourself through the suffering so that you can reap the benefits and the joy of what comes from not giving up and not being defeated. You know, that makes so much sense to me because I'll tell you, um, I lost my parents almost, you know, like within a, a period of a short year, and both of them were, were because of stroke. And after my father died, crazy as I was, I did a marathon. I didn't try a triathlon because I thought at some point I could, you know, I said, I've envisioned me getting so tired that I just drown, you know. But part of, of about doing it was about, you know, well, you know, I had a moment when I wanted to just like curl up in my bed and sometimes on the covers on the floor and just not move because it just sort of, you know how you can feel like I felt like I had been like not only beat up, but somebody had kept kicking me and it was like, I have to get up and I have to make myself move. And if I can do this one step right after another, right after another and get to that finish line, I can, I can keep going. And I will tell you about, you know, about halfway, you know, yeah, I was like, what have I, what have I done it? But it was that thing, like one step right Mm -hmm. after another to keep Mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yeah, there is a part that you do for you. But mm-hmm. I also know that um, part of it, I knew that I did it because I took the marathon I chose, I donated the money, I raised money for stroke research. And, you know, and I know that I was doing it, but, like, I understand exactly what you're talking about. There's one part of you that sort of says, I have to get up, I have to mm-hmm. face it, I have mm-hmm. to keep moving. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's part of life, you know. Mm-hmm. And But the thing about the triathlon specifically, that was for me. But the mm-hmm. fact that I do these diabetes bike rides, oh, that's 100% mm-hmm. for women of color. That is because it's a fundraiser. It's 100%. That is, my, that is what I'm definitely doing to try to help women of color, my sisters who I love dearly. That is for women. I do that specifically. That was my mission. I had to figure out how to deal with this, this, the grief and my depression that I deal with daily. You know, we don't, that's the thing as women, we don't want to talk about that, of, of losing my mother in life. And I had to find a way of making my mother's life, not her death, be something that mm. I focus, but her life. And how can, I, how can I handle my own pain and grief of losing my very best friend, the only parent I ever knew? How, what can I do? I've got to try to make a difference. So I'm going to do these diabetes bike rides. And, and, and I decided last year, right before my mother's third anniversary of leaving this planet, that I had to try to do something to make this okay for me. Hmm. So that's what I did. And I was trying to do five, but, you know, because I went back to school, I, I, I had to let go of one, and I did four. Well, I'm, I'm, I, I can't do four anymore, not until I finish this degree. But I'm going to do the main one in May every year. And I put together a team of people called Team Vital, which is Victoria's uh, Touch of Life. It's uh, an acronym for Victoria's Touch of Life. And I'm going to do it again. And I hope to double the money that I raised. And, and, and my goal is to, 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 to start making 
a stink about what we need to do for black women, mm-hmm. how we need to help them. And I'm trying to connect with the American Diabetes Association specifically. Got an email from my local chapter. They want to meet with me for lunch. I don't know what wow. that's all about, but I told mm-hmm. them, I'm not doing this just to raise money. I want to be involved in the mm-hmm. education and the prevention specifically for women of color. So I'm letting you know it's not just about raising money for you guys. I want something in return that's because good. I want to be a part of the solution and not the problem. You know, that that I had talked to, there's a woman here who does, um, who raises awareness about lupus, and she was talking about, but her group, she was working with one of the larger organizations, and she saw that it wasn't dealing specifically with these people who she was seeing, their day-to-day lives. You know, yeah, they might have, a bigger organization might be talking about research, but how did they manage it? How did they make the changes they needed to be, to live healthier? And, you know, I hope that they give you this platform, although I know that if they don't, you are going to make this platform to talk about these things. I mean, it is so important that, you know, how many people do you see, do you see many people who are involved on these, when you do the tour to cure, do you see many people of color involved? And how do you get more people of color involved to recognize not only to have a conversation, but to do this, but to raise awareness for our community, for our this, sisters. This mm-hmm. is how we do it. We have these conversations. We have people like you who find people like me. I mean, and, and, and we just keep spreading the word. And we say you got to get involved. We, 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 it, 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 you know, we, we have this thing, it takes a village. But, no, it doesn't always take a village. Sometimes it just takes one person to create a village. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and we just have to be willing to step out. No, I, the, 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 the one where I saw the most people of color was the one I did in Charlotte, North Carolina. But, no, I did, one, I did 200 milers, one for Philadelphia. I biked 100 miles. Then I turned right around and did another. No, I biked to Maryland. Two weeks later, I did one in Philly for 100 miles. So I did a 64, 100, 100, and then I did a 25-miler. But when I did the one in Maryland, it was on the Eastern Shore, there were very few people of color, period. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, but I get it, you know, but, you know, white folks will come out because they got a lot of people with type 1 diabetes and there's a lot of money. But we have to take the platform because, see, a lot of people are out there fighting for type 1 diabetes. And that's where you see the impact where you see a lot of non-people of color impacted. I can't give you statistics, so it might be more than I'm even willing to say. But what I know is that there are more people of color who have type 2 diabetes, and type 2 diabetes can be prevented. Type 1 cannot. Mm -hmm. So we have got to find a way to come together because we can stop this. We can stop this. And it won't be in my lifetime, Michelle. It won't be in yours because that's not being realistic. But we can stop it if we just start to be more aware and make better choices. We can prevent this. I want nothing but good things to happen for the advancement and research for type 1. But there's going to be a lot of money in that because you can't prevent it. 
there are if you knew the advancements that they made and and insulin pumps that give you insulin automatically without you having to think of it all kinds of advancements in type 1 mhm but because in my heart that so many people of color are more affected by type 2 it's it's a different urgency there're plenty of programs but how do you reach the communities that impacted the most that's where the problem lies in my personal and professional opinion there are okay, plenty, okay. there's a lot but there's just we need people to go in the hood Michelle we need people right, not that, to be afraid true. to go in the mm-hmm. ghetto and the mm-hmm. hood and those poor environments because mm-hmm. that's where the diabetes lies that's okay, those well, are the statistics Yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit more. We're going to take another quick break. And, you know, because you hit on something that that is is spot on. So we'll be right back. I'm talking with Victoria Proctor, and we're going to talk a little bit more about diabetes and our communities of color. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back with Victoria Proctor. You know, one of the things you said, and I'll tell you, and I've talked to uh, the woman who does lupus. I was talking to someone who, who's doing a cancer council in here, that we have to get into the hood and talk about this. And we also have to get people, our community, communities of color, black people, yeah, to funny. recognize, like you said, this is not something, it, it isn't just something that we get because we're black, okay? This is something that's preventable. It's something yeah. that we can do. We have to get over because in all of these instances, what I still hear, which is it's just like, you know, mind-boggling that you still have, it's not mine, it is, but it isn't. It's still mind-boggling that you have communities of color. We don't go to the doctor. Well, part mm-hmm. of it has to do with access, okay? Part of it has, mm-hmm. might have to do with lack, uh, lack, of, lack of health insurance, lack of access, because you see often like they close all the, the hospitals and the medical centers in the urban areas, and you have to go out, and if you don't have transportation, you, you can't get out there. And so yes. we are dying. Yes. Because we're simply not having, I mean, maybe the place that we need to be having these conversations is at Big Mama's house, at the church, at the school, Mm -hmm. at the community centers. Yes. And, you know, Michelle, I have to say this. I'm looking for a platform to do it. I, 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 I'm, because I'm looking for the platform. I, you know, it's, it's, it's what I said to love. 
a friend, I don't necessarily want my life to be exposed. I'm a very private person, but I'm willing to use my life, every aspect, everything about myself. I'm willing to be on public display for this cause, this cause of making a difference with my life before I leave this planet. I'm not looking for fame or fortune, but I wish that I could find a way to be that change literally on a, on, on a, on a grand scale. You can, you can call it whatever you want to call it. Because the bottom line is somebody's got to tell the truth. Because that's the only way we're going to get there. We're not telling the truth. There's so much that needs to be done in healthcare. That's a conversation in and of itself, Michelle. Mm-hmm. But we've got to, people's got to know the truth. And we have to make the choices and decisions to change our lives for the better. Because if not, Michelle, it's not going to change. The truth is no one's going to make the lives of black people better, male or female, except black people. And I'm really sorry to say that, but that is the truth. That is the truth. It is up to us to save us. Mm-hmm. It is really up to us to save us because the white man will never understand the culture of our DNA. I hate to even make that statement, but it's the truth. So we have to do this, Michelle, somehow. We have to. And I wish I really knew how, and I wish I had the platform to say just what I said to you now. Because somebody's got to just say it. Just say it. And if I say it and 10 people listen, well, that's 10 more people who get to touch another person in their lives. And then they get to touch. And then maybe 100, 200 years from now, we're not leading the statistics for diabetes and hypertension and obesity and certain forms of cancer. And we're not raising in the rates of depression because of our life choices and our, and, 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 and our environment and the things that have oppressed us for so long, and we're climbing in that area too. And that's a conversation that needs to be had, is depression among African-American mm-hmm. women and men. But, you know, it, it, no one's really, really talking about it. And, you, you know, you hear all this stuff that's going on in healthcare, Michelle. You hear people talk. You hear all these numbers that this the statistics and why everybody's in an uproar. But this is what people don't realize. Those statistics that everybody's talking about and all the fight over health care and access and all this and all that, black folks are the driving force behind that. We're the reasons why statistics are so high. We're the reason why. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're the reasons why hypertension and, and, and certain, we're the reason, we're, we're, we're the reason, but we're not, we're not being a part of the solution. We have got to be a part of the solution. We have to be more active in this because decisions are being made that are literally impacting our health. You know, yeah, we can't afford health care right now. Many people can't afford health care. But we have to fight to make it um, something that we can afford. And what we can afford is to make lifestyle changes that impact our health and our own health care. 
But we we have to we have to we have to fight. You know, we have to fight. Just like Black Lives Matter is a big thing, well, Black mm-hmm. Health matters, and we we have to fight to change it. If we don't take on the fight, it's never going to change. You know, health care is never going to be really affordable for the average, average class black person. It's not. That's the reality of life. But here's one truth. If we help black people just learn to be healthier and make better choices, it won't be so much of an issue. It won't be so much of an issue. Because if you're healthier, you're not sicker, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're not, if you're not, if you're healthier, you're not sicker. If you learn not to use the ER for your primary care because you're healthier, you're not sicker. We're not worried and about you, insurance. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, and, thing, and if you learn how to manage your stress, perhaps through meditation, through other things, that to use, to, do you learn how to eat better or healthier, you're not going to have the hypertension, so you're not going to go to ER. You know, it's sort of like yeah. we have to yeah. take control of our communities and, like you said, our health in our lives we have to help each other do this we have to it's like we have to do this we we have to do this it's like fighting for black equality you know with the civil rights movement and all the things that have happened to to get us to where we are well we have to have a we have to have a civil rights movement for black health so that we can get further along because as it becomes more of a political game and a business game and, 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 and out of our, as long as it's that we're in trouble, we have to fight the fight for that. Because we're the ones really being impacted here. And we have to take the fight. You know, we have to take the fight on. We really, 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 really do. But it's, a, it's, it's not a bad fight if we can just band together and decide that, you know, we, we want to live. Mm-hmm. That's you true. Know? Mind, body, spirit. Mind, body, and spirit. Well, Victoria, I want to thank you um, for taking the time to be with me today. I mean, this is a conversation that's going to go on. I mean, I, I think that offline I've got stuff to tell you. <laughs> I mean, but um, it, it, it is a, it is. We are fighting for our lives, the lives, not only our lives, but the lives of our children and their children for generations to come. But and again, I want it. It's worth it. It, it it's is worth so it. We worth have it. to fight for our children, right? I know I won't be here forever, and I want my life. I want life to be better for my nephews, my great mm-hmm. nephews. So it's not the. It's not about me anymore, Michelle. It is about the generations to come, and hopefully, I'll be up there in the air somewhere, looking down and saying, "I did the best I could to help them." Mm-hmm. So well, you I'd know, love to uh, come back anytime. Oh well, I will definitely be calling you back. You know. Um, because I mean, this is a it's a big it's a big conversation that we can't do just in in this one time slot. But I will definitely be in touch with you, and um, thank you again. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So we've come to the end of another collections by Michelle Brown. We were talking with Victoria Proctor, and you know, remember that. Our health matters. Black health matters. There's something that you can do, and we will be revisiting this in the future. Um, I want to thank you, my listening audience, for tuning in. I will be back next week. In the meantime, you can listen to this issue or this edition or even an archived edition if you've missed one of our past guests 
on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. I want to thank you, and again, join me next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.